Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secrets out service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Okay, quick break to talk about our sponsor for today. That's right. A few weeks ago, I uh, did a fake ad read where I said this episode is brought to you by nobody. And uh, ever since then, people just email reaching out to advertise on the podcast, which is great. And uh, this is a really cool company. The sponsor for this week's podcast is Supercast. So, you know, if you want to cash in on your podcast, Supercast can help you unlock predictable recurring revenue from your audience. How was that? by cutting out the middleman and turning listeners into paying subscribers. In fact, podcasters using a subscription model can make twice as much versus advertising alone. I like that. Visit supercast.com slash hustle to learn and earn more. All right, I'll have to check that out after this. I do love me some subscriptions. So me and Sam met... Um Actually, we met in a really fucking random way. So we, we met because Sam, Sam was hosting HustleCon... And he was, uh, he, I get an email from Sam Parr that says, hey, Sean, uh, heard great things about you. Um, heard, things, heard great things about your space, Monkey Inferno. Um, office is so dope. Hey, you know what? We, uh, I have HustleCon coming up like in <laughs> a week from now. And I need a, sp- I need a space to host my, my speaker dinner. It's going to have badass speakers. This guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. That, you know, all these people are coming. Um, you know, would you be down to, to host it? And I read it, and I was like, I don't know this guy. There's nothing about, like, you know, like, I was like, this is, he's full of shit. Like, he hasn't heard anything about me. and But he probably saw our space because our space was really cool. I, and for the record, I had. It okay. wasn't, I wasn't and I, I assumed it was bullshit, but I was like, still, this is, this is high-class bullshit. And so I was, uh, I was like, yeah, this sounds great. And, uh, and he was bringing some value to the table. He was like, you can attend the dinner. You'll meet all these people. So I tried to ne- negotiate back. I was like, cool, uh, as long as I can speak at HustleCon, I'll do it. And he was like, <laughs> like, no, there's no spots left. Uh, and I was like, all right, fair play. You could still do it. And so th- that's, that's actually how we met um, that night at the speaker dinner. And I met a few of my best friends there, uh, which is like testament to the idea of like just show up. Uh, it's become like a motto of mine, which is uh, showing up like it's just 80%. And like for you guys who came here, you could have done anything. You could have stayed home, Netflix, gone on dates. You know, you could have done whatever you guys do. You know, you could have done tonight. Uh, but you showed up, and so good things can happen when you show up. And and, that's, and, and that's so uh, we used to do a weekly, we- weekly or monthly, where it was Sean and three of our friends, and we would meet up every single week, and then eventually every single month for years. It felt like yeah, um, it, was, it was like seven p.m. once a week or once every two weeks. We would get together, and um, it was it's what we call a junto now, which is basically like a, a meeting of the minds. And Sam was in it, and you invited a couple friends that were really good. And uh, the idea was like, hey, you spend most of your time where you have to sell. If you, you know, if you're doing a business, you got to sell to investors. You sell to your customers. You sell to your teammates that hey, things are going great. Um, but in reality, things are usually not going great. Default by most most of the time, things are not going great. And so uh, we wanted a group of people that you could talk to, and it's like you know, 30% therapy, or it's probably like 70% therapy, 30% strategy. Uh, but we like told ourselves it's all about the strategy, which was that, hey, if I say I'm having trouble with this thing, uh, turns out Sam's really good at marketing. And he could be like, dude, why don't you just do this, this, and this? 
go read this blog post. It's awesome. It'll help you out. But then also we would have like insider knowledge because of because I host conferences. You, uh, you're just very personal. You know everyone, and then we have in, uh, investor friends, and like we had this network of. We were like, I felt like one step away from anyone we ever wanted to speak with, and so we would also like hear rumors, and we'd bring up those rumors. Like I heard this person was doing this, right? And that's kind of what the podcast one, this part of the podcast turned into. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's how we got to know each other, and that's why I knew Sam would be good to do these uh, brainstorms with. Uh, so I'm curious for people who are, uh, did anybody come from out of town? You, you came from out of town, right? So you came from San Diego. San Diego. Uh, Livermore. Livermore. Malibu. Malibu, love it. Sacramento. Who came the furthest? Who thinks Wait, they came guy, the right? furthest? Los Angeles. Los Angeles, okay, very good. San Diego. San Diego. San Diego's the furthest. Wow. All right. <laughs> Round of applause for the guy who came from San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> On like 10 days' notice, I, I, I think. Yeah, um, whenever I hear that, I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we don't say that part out loud. <laughs> uh, what is the answer? Why? Uh, I just have some questions I want to ask you guys. Yeah. Okay. Should we start with that? What's the question? I, I, I feel like you came from San Diego. I, I owe, you, owe it to you. I, wait, and before we actually get the question, I do want to preface this by saying, I feel like because of the we've created, the, you created this podcast, I created the hustle. People think that like we have answers, and that's definitely not the truth. But what is the truth is though that I like because of the opinions. Business, well, uh, very opinionated because of the business that I've created in you as well. I've met so many freaking people and seen so many patterns and I've heard of all these stories. And so I would say if four questions, that's where the answer is coming from. Yeah, what I always tell people is if you know, uh, there's a lot, a lot of people out there who are smarter and wiser than me, but you probably don't know them. So I'm the best you got. Uh, so, 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 so go ahead. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about your startup with Blab. Um, yep. I know that started in, what, 2014? Yeah. And, um, and so I was reading your podcast, uh, or sorry, your, your Medium post about why it failed and how it failed. And I know you mentioned that churn rate was one of the main issues, but what other issues did you see uh, coming and like what other reasons besides the churn rate did you have that came to the failure of Blab? So, okay, so we, we had built a, a, an app called Blab. Jake's here. Jake was part of Blab. Jason was a, a, a Blab. I think he joined right when we closed Blab down. I think somebody else said they were a user of Blab here. Uh, basically, Blab was like a way you could push a button and start a talk show. So, basically, what we're doing now, but like online and so you could have two up to four people talking on screen and unlimited people watching and so now like periscope facebook live now a lot of things are out there that try to do stuff like this uh we tried um your question was why did it fail it failed for really two reasons one was um when most people make content if you look at youtube podcasts blogs 99 percent of content is really bad and uh, not bad by my judgment, but bad by the market's judgment. It doesn't get any views. It doesn't get a following. And the problem with live is that um, you, know, you can get away with that if you're YouTube or you're a blog post because the good stuff sticks around. It's still there. So you know, the 1% that's good, you can find it and enjoy it, and that you can create a successful service. With live, you have this really hard problem where the good stuff is only good while it's on, and then as soon as they go offline, it's gone. So it's like exponentially harder to have good entertainment on all the time. And we, we felt that pain. And so ultimately, that's why it failed. The other weird thing was, uh, do, do you guys know who Martin Shkreli is? Yeah. So if you I, do, if, I blabbed with him on your show. Yeah, so if you don't know, I didn't know who this guy was. But he came on. I was like, wow, who's this guy, Martin? He's the biggest user we have. This guy's got thousands of people watching him. And we were this tiny service at the time. 
And it uh, turns out I Googled him, and it has, like, the first thing that comes up is Martin Shkreli, most hated man in America. <laughs> and I was like, uh-oh, it's not a good thing. And, and basically he was the guy who had bought, a, he bought some drug and jacked up the price, um, which is like – Pharma bro. Pharma bro. And then he did all kinds of other stuff. He's now in jail. Uh, so that's like the <laughs> – that's where the story ends. <laughs> uh, but he was on our service, and he would blab every night. He was actually our star user. He used it as – like, he used it perfectly. We had other celebrities try to use it, but it was, like, very inauthentic. This guy, he would use it all the time, and uh, he would use it every single night. And he was driving hundreds of thousands of people to us. So we were growing, but uh, if you guys know about um, 4chan or some of these other, like, internet – like troll groups or hacking groups actually i shouldn't say anything don't attack me anymore i am i'm scarred uh but there was a, a group called lizard squad at the time who did not like martin shkreli and they did not like that we were letting him broadcast on our platform and so uh they started ddosing us uh basically like like you wouldn't believe every day for i don't know jake how many months straight did we fight this as long as martin shkreli yeah, as, as long as Martin was on, they would do this, and um, it was it was unbelievable. So the other reason it failed was that we had one of the most prolific internet hacking groups attacking us with their full force while we were like this new startup and was not for, and, and not ready for this. There was maybe a third reason, and as one of my best friends, I saw like this whole thing is that his setup as an entrepreneur was like way different than most people. They basically too nice. Yeah. <laughs> there, the Monkey Inferno was – so there's this billionaire named Michael Birch, or he's close to a billionaire. And most people, when they get a little bit of money, maybe they'll buy a nice car or a nice watch. This billionaire had probably a five – I don't know what your budget was, but let's say $5 million a year incubator where Sean was the boss and got to spend this money on launching cool stuff. And I think it created a little distraction because, like, you had the freedom to every three months try something yeah, new. Yeah, like we had a private chef every day and we have like you know a bar, an office in the bar uh, sorry a bar in our office now these weren't in my opinion i don't think they're the reason we failed but they do create a sense of security and comfort that like you know who's running a business that's like it, your office is embarrassing like you are your daily conditions well, are I mean, like you you nobody you, raised their hand like this, <laughs> yeah thank you like let's be honest here what you know, I mean is like your back was against the wall. I used to take dates to my office to impress them. I don't think it, I don't think most entrepreneurs would take their dates to their garage well, like, to try to impress them. Right? So like, like when a lot of people start companies, their backs up against the wall. They're like I, I gotta make this work. You never really had your back up against yeah. the wall, which I thought was awesome. Um, and maybe it is awesome. It could be awesome, but yeah, that might have been a, that might have been a factor for for sure. Um, but it's hard to say, right? When you when you fail, it's hard to say why you, why exactly you failed. You try to pinpoint reasons, but. It's usually a multiple of things. Same thing with success. If you ask successful people how'd you do it, uh, usually they don't even remember the hard times. They sort of blacked out and, uh, and, and forgot about all those things they used to do when pre-success. And so I, I, in general, I try not to take uh, put too much weight in, you know, why did you fail or why did you succeed? Because it's so nuanced. And uh, sorry, that's not a great answer. No, but no, yeah, yeah. No, cool. Um, cool. Yeah, what's up? Question for you. So you've like run startups, you've built great companies, and now you're like an employee and running a startup. So I'm curious. Yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> about that balance? Like, how do you make sure that you're a good employee when you have a startup? Mindset? I asked him that the other day. So the question, if you, if you didn't hear on the podcast, uh, was you've done startups, now you're an employee at, at, at a company. How do you, what was it? How do you balance? Make sure you're a good employee. How do you make sure you're a good employee? Mindset, yeah. Well, how about even, first of all, what, did it, what was the, almost the difference of running versus yeah. not having to? Uh, major difference, right? So, like, um, so right now I have a baby, uh, a two and a half month old baby, and uh, like 
you got to keep the baby alive. That's like the only job. <laughs> the job is keep the baby alive, and you got to do stuff. You can't. The baby's not just going to stay alive. You got to actively do things all times of day. Like my wife wakes up panicked just every hour, just to be like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be panicked about, but I got to keep this baby alive. That's how a startup felt to me, which was like by default we were failing every single week. You know, today I'm at Twitch, and we have a you know have a, what, what you would consider like a high pressure job. Like I'm basically running international growth for them, but Twitch is not going to fail tomorrow or the next week, you know, pretty much regardless of what I do. If I do something great, it's going to be additive. But if I do an okay or, or mediocre job, the company doesn't fail. And so there's just a different level of pressure when literally the whole thing is going to fail. You're going to owe people money who you raised money from. Your employees who took a bet on you and came to work for you, they're going to be out of a job. That's just a different level of pressure. And if, if you can see, I have like sort of gray hairs on the side here, even though I'm 31 years old, because I think that was the, the pressure then. So to me, that's the difference. I don't know if how you've you, tasted the difference. Uh, and she wants to know how you balance it, but I would, I would say that I, I, our company is uh, a good business. Um, I don't like running a company. I really like starting a company, <laughs> and they're way different. Yeah, and it takes and, two different skills yeah. um, to do it, and you either have both or you don't. Um, the other thing, which was how do you make sure you're a good employee um, – I don't know. I don't know if I'm necessarily a great employee, to be honest with you. Um, in fact, like when we got we got acquired to do one thing within the company, and then within two months, uh, I'm like, no, we should do this other thing that's like really important. And I pivoted, which like I thought my days of pivoting were over when I left my startup. But um, so I think in some ways I was a bad employee. I didn't do the job I was meant to do. But maybe there's a trade-off, which was. Um, you know, the project we're working on now is a startup type project, it's more of an entrepreneurial type of project within a big company. And I think it's possible to balance that because that's how I started this was when I, I had another business and we sold it and then started this. The, the things that are built between like 6 p.m. and 1 a.m. are pretty amazing. Um, and and to, be, to be honest, now those hours are for my family, they're for working out, they're for the podcast. They used to be for the business, those same hours. Um, and so I don't give those hours to my job. And that's, that's why I said I'm not sure if I am a great employee. And we can keep doing questions or go through some of the stuff we had here. Yeah, do you guys want to hear, uh, I guess, show of hands, who wants ideas? And then we'll do who wants question, more questions. So if you want to hear brainstormed ideas, hands up now. Okay. And if you want Q&A now. <laughs> just, do you, do you want to just ask a question? Oh, okay. <laughs> The meta question. All right, we'll do some ideas. Uh, and then, and you guys can tell us because, you know, when we do these ideas, um, we literally just like throughout the week take notes of interesting stuff I'm hearing that other people are doing or stuff, trends I'm noticing or stuff I read in the, in the trends group. Um, I'm curious also, who here is a subscriber to trends? Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, to trends. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, pretty good. You want to? Yeah, who's going to HustleCon? I'm going. All right, okay. Um, we're just going to do polls all right. night. That's, that's the whole thing. No, you know who to talk to. Um, so, yeah, we, we do these ideas, and, um, and I've actually found that there's this great practice. So I actually encourage you, even if you're not doing a podcast about new ideas, um, act like you are. Because now that I write down new ideas, because I know, oh, shit, we're going to brainstorm on Thursday or Friday, um, it's got my brain constantly looking. And if I wasn't doing this podcast, I wouldn't be writing these notes down. My brain would kind of just start to ignore those interesting things. It would just think, oh, that's for other people to do. Um, and I notice this a lot in our company, too. If, if you know, There's a lot of smart people, and, and I actually asked someone today, I said, so have you thought of any business ideas while you've been working here? And they like were confused I even asked the question, and it's because their brain wasn't thinking about that. And, um, and 
I encourage you to train your brain to, to look I, I at the stuff. I list forever. I just love, I just, I do it all the time. Yeah, you have a backlog. Okay, so uh, what do we got? I got a couple ideas. I'm going to tell you about one that I'm pretty bullish on. Uh, so anybody ever heard of Amazing Grass? It's okay. So, um, so I want to eat healthy and, um, eating healthy is basically, it's actually really fucking simple. You eat real food, not processed food, mostly vegetables and just like, don't eat too much. Like that's the whole, that's the diet book, but eating vegetables is like pretty tough. So I started taking this powder called amazing grass. And basically it's the equivalent of like, like I was too lazy to cook vegetables. So I started doing green smoothies and now this is like, Hey, you know what? Don't even do the smoothie. Just put this powder in water and chug. And uh, I'm like, great, you know, sign me up. Like, if you could just inject it in my veins, I'll take that too. And so, um, so I, I don't know what you think of this, but well, I, well, I want to know why you're, you're bringing it up now. I feel like this is, this is already a pretty popular thing, right? I, it's new to me. I've never. So I've when I've tried when I tried I don't know to what like they call it like a green juice or. Are you talking about athletic greens? So athletic no, greens is similar. That's what I said to him too. So athletic greens, I think, is similar, but it's a it's a green powder, and and so I don't know if athletic greens is a green powder. I think it is. Um, it is, but it is. I, I view this as to me this when I saw this, I was like the same way that the protein powder industry has just sort of like gone up and up and up and um, has really, you know, if you're trying to bulk up, that's just becomes a part of your staple like routine. I think that uh, this is sort of the, it's the vegan version of it, right? It's basically instead of trying to bulk up, it's about uh, hacking your way into health. So it's about getting sort of everything you want from your greens faster. Uh, and the, th the thing I like best about it is that it tastes like shit. So I believe that it actually works. Like, <laughs> if this thing tasted good, I would be like, oh, no, this is this is garbage. This is a sugary something. Well, something. so uh, athletic greens, I think. I thought like, Adam brought you some right now. No, it's, it's really expensive. <laughs> is that stuff expensive? So this little tub so is like. a $100 million a year company, and, and they are acquired? Uh, no, they got a private equity investment. Which so they're, they're, they're worth more profitable. than that. Yeah. Yeah, if private you equity. You, you're very profitable, typically. Exactly. So the idea that's here is not to invent something that's already invented, but to do it in a new way. So uh, we have a lot of friends that do D2C companies, uh, direct-to-consumer uh, brands. And this, to me, was like screaming for direct-to-consumer, right? I bought it because I was in Whole Foods, and I just saw it, and I grabbed it. Uh, but this is something that would be, you know, D2C. If you were thinking about D2C products, it's like a checklist in your head, right? So you want a, a price point that's high enough. So... Um, you know, you don't want to sell a $2 product because the Facebook ads are too expensive. You want something that's recurring and that basically people consume, not something they buy once and uh, they keep forever. So this is consumable. It's a high price point. It appeals to the health and fitness market, which is a very big market. And, um, and it's very like sort of shipping friendly and you could private label it pretty easily. So the idea here is to go D to C with like a competitor to Athletic Greens um, through Facebook, Instagram. I hate D to C. Why would you hate DTC? This is like the, a lot of these direct-to-consumer companies, which DTC, like... But is, you know how well our friends are doing do. with this. So how could I you do. hate that? I think that this whole DTC, first of all, like everything's DTC. So we're just talking about like, basically, it's like in my mind, it's white label, it's shitty products that are white labeled that are either pink, turquoise, or yellow, <laughs> use a lowercase font <laughs> as a logo, and they triple the or quadruple the price of the normal... That's like saying a tech company, you remove the vowels and you, you know, dot L-Y and, you know, like, <laughs> dot I-O, right? Like, it's similar, and I, I would never, I think those are stupid too. But I, my take on the direct-to-consumer thing, which, like I said, it's not even like direct-to-consumer. It's whatever this, like, category is. All, most, like, like away travel, I think their suitcases suck. You I, don't like the products. I think most of these products are horrible. 
Right. Because I have friends that own these companies and they print money. Yeah. But they just like find something shitty in Alibaba or whatever, and they it's just all market. It's a market. It's I think it's a it's a soulless marketing machine that will make you rich. But when when Facebook gets more expensive, which it is, we pay four times more, five times more than what we did two years ago. Yeah. It's gonna close. Okay, fine. What ideas you got? Do <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys see Honey got acquired? Yeah. yeah, so um, I've been bullish on Chrome plugins for a while, and I think I've been bullish on them. Is if I don't, I, I've actually posted this in the group. If anyone's seen it before this acquisition, so I'm tooting my own horn. But uh, <laughs> I love Chrome plugins because people dismiss them as silly, dumb ideas. So Shopify apps are dismissed as dumb ideas. WordPress plugins are dismissed as dumb ideas. Newsletters, my company dismisses small, dumb ideas, and Chrome plugins as well. And they think that it's like this small, silly thing, like it's a Chrome plugin. And it's like, no, it's not. It's just like if you're PayPal, are you an app? Are you a website? It's like you're a service, and you just happen to deliver through a particular mechanism. And so to me, Chrome plugins are just services, and they just so happens to use a Chrome plugin. And I'll tell you firsthand, we own a Chrome plugin. And I was showing Sean the stats before this. The Chrome plugin is the stickiest delivery mechanism of a service or product that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, we were looking at the stats and so, you guys launched it like three years ago. Yeah, and um, 50 or 60% of those users, we, we, we literally launched, launched it on day one and never touched it ever again. And most of the users are still using it every single day. Yeah. And so this is a thing we launched called Snippets. Does anyone actually have Snippets? Oh, you have it? Or you did? Someone did have it? Kathy, you have it? Okay, it was just a silly widget. There was like no thought in it and it's, in it, and it's neat, but it doesn't like provide like a ton of value. And it's still, people don't, the, I think the reason people un, un, uninstalled it is they got a new computer. Yeah. Um, but like on, with 2,500 users, we'll drive 100,000 page views uses of that thing a day. And it's a Chrome plugin. So another example is Grammarly. You guys know Grammarly? Yeah. So the founder spoke at HustleCon, and I was shooting the shit with them. And this was uh, 2016. So this was three years ago. Um, and I was like, Max, like, is it, what is this thing about? He's like, I'll tell you this. We just raised $100 million in funding, and I took, and that money meant most to me, and they only bought 10% of the company. I was like, holy shit. And he's like, tell me all the, a little bit of the numbers. And uh, I was like, it's a plug-in. And he's like, yeah, it's going to be huge. And I think they actually just raised more money recently at some huge valuation. Stupidly big, but yeah. the stickiness of plugins are crazy. And so in my head, I'm thinking, what server, like, with the hustle, we're just a news service or an information service and we just pick the mechanism of email because it's incredibly sticky. Um, Chrome plugins, way stickier than anything I've seen. And um, in my head, I'm constantly thinking of value that can be driven on it. Something that you need that each and every day um, because a Chrome plugin is perfect for that. Right. And you... Uh, Gmail plugins too. Yeah, you, you were saying for... Um for snippets, you, you were saying that you guys promoted it just once. And so like the graph basically looked like launch day, there's a spike of users, and then no new users, but the that no new users coming in, but the active users is just like steady for three years straight. Uh, and that's yeah, just like a very interesting graph to yeah, me. Yeah, but I actually, we, what we could have done is, it was an ad-based thing. I don't really like advertising as a business, but we very easily could have seen how much revenue we earned per, per page view and actually paid to promote it. We probably should have done it. We would have made probably millions of dollars because it's gotten like 100 or 150 million page views already. Mm -hmm. um, but if you look at Honey, I studied how they were growing. They were growing through Taboola and Outbrain, um, those, little art, those little 
images, thumbnails at the bottom of like CNN.com. Right. Because um, they calculated the LTV and we're just spending like crazy to acquire users. I also think Google lets you pay to like app installs. Yeah, you also, uh, I like, I like how you think because you like to work backwards from distribution. I think distribution first. So you'll just think of a distribution channel. Okay, Chrome extensions. And then work backwards until a product makes sense. Like you did that basically with email for the for, for the hustle. Yeah, you know who taught me that was um, th this guy. Uh, the, have you guys heard of NerdWallet? It's like a $200 million a year business. They bootstrapped it for a long time, then they raised all this money. He taught me that. Um, how did they do that? They basically work backwards from what? Google I, searches? I, I had told one of the founders who is in, we raised, we had not raised any VC, but we raised a little angel money. I told one of the founders, I was like, we have this conference and I think, I, he's like, I could build this huge email list. I learned how to do it and I know how to do that really well. And he goes, he's like, dude, raise this money and, and go big. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to sell. And he goes, you'll figure it out. Getting the audience is the hard part. And uh, I was like, I, I, that sounds reckless. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he's, he was right. Yeah. And so I learned that once getting the audience and baking distribution into your cost to acquire a customer. So basically getting the audience means acquiring a customer. Acquiring a customer is way harder because if you think about it, think about how many shitty products there are in the world that are huge businesses. Like go to that convenience store across the street and you'll see like really bad. I mean, that's subjective, but you'll see like candy or something that you're like, man, this is not that high quality, but they're in every fucking store in the world. Right. For the record, Sam ate like twenty pieces of candy right before this. Yeah, it was I'm an it was an incredible guy. experience. I sat there and he he just like a, a small child's Halloween loot just downed it while we were talking, and then he had to like with two hands get all the wrappers and throw it away. I was like, wow, that, that was phenomenal. But I, the, the, I think a, a business is just distribution and then the product. And there's loads of examples of amazing products that completely die and become horrible companies because you know no one wants to go and buy it, but if an inferior product has great distribution, like what you see at the gas station, you're like, well, fuck, I just need this thing. I'm gonna, I don't care if it sucks. Right. Obviously, if you have great distribution and great product, that's where magic comes in. It multiplies, in. yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, does anybody here have an idea for the brainstorm? Like, have you, are you all just idealists? All right, who we got? <laughs> What's your name? Karen. Karen, great. What's your idea, Karen? You want to come up here and say it into the mic? You want to get on the podcast? She, she, uh, it's containerly. Oh, containerly. No, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Are you, no, are you pitching your own business or are yes. you you're pitching Absolutely. your own actual business? Actual business. Okay, this is actually an ad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's still an idea. You okay. know, the All idea right. is that we need to live more connected to nature, have places to co-work and co-live. You know, live an itinerant, crazy, you know, mobile-first lifestyle. You know, okay. and that we can do that together by living in shipping containers in poorly performing RV parks that we purchase and then move everyone in, have a great co-working space. And we're out there in nature going for a walk, breathing fresh air, eating food so that I'll, we grow. So I'll dumb it down. It's, it's yeah. without being disrespectful. Container yeah. ships or container yeah. units. Container units. That, that people live vacation in. in. I think it's vacation. They vacation or live? Well, it's for short, medium term, short to medium term living. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank yeah, you for great. me it down. I was way too hard No, that's okay. <laughs> and Karen, what do you think of... Just, uh, that's how I would tell my friends. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of AutoCamp? I sure have. What do you think of AutoCamp? Actually, I stayed there, and um, it is absolutely gorgeous, but it doesn't allow any of you guys to buy into it, and we're giving the opportunity to co-own something. Ah, uh, okay. Right? So AutoCamp's a great way to spend a, a lot of money on a glamping unit. 
right? But they're all stacked next to each other. So it's all about the re-layout re of the space so that there is actual nature involved. How much does it cost to buy one of your things? 110000 uh, Do you have to buy the land? No. So it's like an RV. It's like a trailer park. But you rent it out. You make money the whole time. It's like a fancy trailer park. Yeah, that's okay. I'm not being disrespectful. Fancy. Got it. Um, but also, we rent it out. We um, get company off-sites and yoga retreats. Can you put 20000 down, like 20% down? Sure. All right, looks, looks like you got a sale. <laughs> and, then, and then we rented out for you, so we should be only about... How many square feet are they? They're 320 square feet. But plus the deck, plus the deck with a garage door that opens out so that... A small one-bedroom apartment 650, right? Or no, a studio is 450 probably, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a, it's a studio apartment. It's a studio apartment? Got it. Yeah, in nature. Yeah, I, like the, I actually like this general idea. First, I like that you... Uh, pitch your business. That's hustling. I like it. Um, and then I actually like this idea. And the reason I asked about AutoCamp is because I'm fascinated by... Um, Say what AutoCamp is. So AutoCamp is basically uh, glamping, which is like a glamorous camping uh, experience. It's, it's Airbnb if you want to like go out in nature, but you're like me and you don't want to do any of the work that's involved with going camping. And um, that's how I think about it, at least. I'm sure they would pitch it slightly more like with more flowery but words. But this company raised money from... Private equity. So, so they raised about $110 million recently, um, and they only have about five locations, which means these guys must be printing money. And does anyone know the difference between PE and VC? Yeah. Okay, so if you raise from PE, you, you're a good VC business is, versus VC is more aspirational. VC is your business is going to suck for 10 years and then might become hum humongous. PE is your business is awesome now and they'll drain it. Um, <laughs> so that's, the, that's the short, short, short so answer. So if they you. raise from PE, in my head, I'm like, yeah, your shorthand works. for that means like they're already like they they already have have earnings. Most, most places about eighty units, and um, they range from four hundred and thirty a night to two hundred dollars a So I remember uh, uh, you, you can sit back down. Yeah, yeah. I don't want you to have to stand the whole time. Um, I remember reading. Did anybody? Did anybody remember when Sony's got Sony got their emails hacked? So, so I, I read like all of them, and I was like. Uh, I was I was trying to figure out like what is there any good stuff in here because you know an email hack you would think there's some good stuff. The one thing I remember that stuck out was um, well there's some cool emails early on when Snapchat was on the rise and I think the guy who was CEO of Sony or, or whatever at the time he was like on the board of Snapchat so he had some good like yeah, kind of that. raw thoughts of, you know he didn't know these were going to be public so he was telling the truth about what he thought about the business. And uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting was some guy wrote an email to the to the top guy at Sony and he was like a like a trend spotter type of guy. I don't know if you know about this, but like record labels and fashion brands, they have people who are trend spotters. They go all around the world and just try to look for what the trends are. And um, this guy was like, he's like three things. And he said, uh, EDM is the rock and roll of this generation. You need to know that. Um, two. Uh, that was right. That was right. That was, was totally spot on. And he's like, related. Um, this generation loves festivals. He's like, in general, um, turnkey uh, turnkey outdoor experiences so uh, zero effort but I get to be out in nature away from my computer um, it's sort of a response to the fact that we're always sort of indoors at a desk connected at all times he's like those are those are big and he, uh, number three was bonus points if it's Instagrammable and uh, and I've actually seen this play out so like when we talked about the ice cream museum and, the street. And, and all these ideas they all actually fit this same like ethos of 
uh, how do you get turnkey experience with Instagrammable moments? Uh, we did a Spartan race together, and it's the same thing. It's a, you know, turnkey, you feel like you're tough, um, or if you're me, you feel like you're out of shape, and then, like, you know, Instagrammable experiences along the way. Um, there's one other idea that we were talking earlier about that's, that's sort of like this, which is um, studs. So studs is a new startup that's based in New York that I thought was pretty interesting. What they're doing is they looked at what was working in malls. So I don't know if you ever remember uh, Claire's that are inside malls. So place you go get your, you go get your ear pierced. There's a lot of men here. I don't know. <laughs> I saw some nods. They're either lying or they are they. You it was know, in the mall. Been. It was like cheap earrings. Yeah, it's like where you go to get your ears pierced if you're like young, if you're like you know a tween. And so um, so Claire's has like four thousand locations around the world. They were doing like you know. Uh, they sold it, you know, in 2007 for three billion dollars. So they built a, you know, a, a sizable business. But they still had a billion and a half in sales last year. Yeah, a billion and a half in sales last year, and um, so it's a big business, but it's like kind of outdated. Like Claire's, Hot Topic, these were all like popular mall stores back in the 90s. And so what Studs is doing is just reimagined it. So it's a cool looking place. Uh, like every part of the store is like Instagrammable. Like you would you would want to take a photo of yourself there and share it out. And you're getting your ears pierced, which is something that's, like, internet resistant. Like, it's not, like, probably not going to get, like, direct-to-consumer ear piercing. So um, so you need to be – you need a physical location to do this. And when all of retail is dying, there's a small segment of retail that's thriving. And these are things that are uh, – that are essentially internet-resistant businesses. And so I'm very interested in those and thinking through what, what more those might be. So, so like, we should talk about things that we think won't work, and I would put that in my category. Yeah. Why are you betting against um, I think it's too cute, and I think that I think there's a problem with people, particularly in San Francisco and New York, who build things only for San Francisco, and New York, or LA people. Um, so one of my favorite companies is Wish. Wish.com. Ha- has anyone not heard of Wish? Some people, not that many though. Okay, last year it would have been, or a few, like a few years ago, yeah. Okay, but Wish.com, they have offices nearby. They've been popular for five years now. And not just popular, like I think like 10 billion users a month, like one of the most popular websites on earth. Not I'm, 10 billion users, but something else. Yeah. 10 billion Sorry, users? not users. <laughs> Sorry. It's more than the Sorry. human population. <laughs> but, Sorry, I, I meant uh, ten, like uh, uh, sessions, like web, yeah. web sessions. I have, uh, sorry, yeah. uh, I have uh, um, a tool that guests web sessions. Yeah. So that would potentially be a billion users. Right. But it, it was big enough that I'm friends with the founder on Facebook. I don't actually know him, but we became Facebook friends somehow. And he always shares like a screenshot. He's like, we're, we're, we were downloaded more than Instagram this month. Right. So that's how big it is. Anyway, I love them because they made stuff that teenagers in middle America, where I'm from, would buy. Would buy. And what always angers me about these companies. So you don't like the soul cycle type of like Barry's Boot Camp type of companies? No, I like them. I just think that not everything works that way. Like, the sure. whole point of Claire's was that it was, like, shitty stuff that young people don't have any money want. And that serves a purpose. Yeah. Um, but a lot of new companies don't make stuff for that demographic. But my and, thinking and, is... And I, and I think that, like, that's... It doesn't make sense to me. That yeah. This, it's like a high-end... It's like got that millennial pink thing. It's like... Right. To, it's to, you're like get off my lawn. Yeah. No, I just, I just, I just think that there's a gap. I think that most people start too high end and too coastal when right. there's you could just crush like it's like a you know what I, I would I love way more than that it's Fashion Nova. You guys know Fashion Nova? Okay, Fashion Nova. Explain the, explain the business Fashion model. Fashion Nova. Who doesn't know Fashion Nova? Wow. 
Okay. Um, this is, it's the new wish. Faster Nova <laughs> is awesome. It, a year, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty big now. Bootstrapped by uh, uh, a Middle Eastern guy, an immigrant, which is another reason why I like it. And he's in L.A. His parents had a mall store, like Claire's, that sold really... Sh- Has anyone been to, like, New York and seen these, like, stores that sell women's jeans and women's clothing that are all, like, knockoffs and not really low quality? That's what his parents ran, and he's like, I should sell this online. And so he went right to Instagram and gave funny-looking clothes to young women, and they would wear it, but it, like, became a joke, almost like world star hip-hop, where it was, like... <laughs> Fat, like they, they were like you know how like young guys will will yell whenever there's a fight they yell like world star. Well, they advertised with all these uh, Instagram models that it became a joke that Fashion Nova was on everything, and it turned out that they're actually kind of cool. And so Fashion Nova is, uh, I think it's one of the largest Shopify stores out there, and it's like a six hundred million dollar a year fashion brand. And they sell really cheap, low-quality clothes, but they're kind of, like, funny and cool. Right. It's, it's like, like Cardi B is now their spokesperson. And they, and they just went crazy on the influencer side. So, like, if you go down the right Instagram rabbit hole, you will see Fashion Nova everywhere. But that's an example of people selling to relatively normal folks. Right. It's affordable. Um, it's kind of funny. They put themselves in the middle of culture. I like that. Gymshark's another cool one that did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like those businesses too. Um, all right. I want to turn it over. Questions. Oh, do you want to do things that we don't think will work? Or cool? we want to do okay. Questions. Let's do it. What do you got? Uh, why don't you say your... So we, we always talk about things that we think will work. Let's talk about things we think won't work. Hater mode. <laughs> and I try never to do this because I always respect someone who tries something, even if it is stupid. Right. You want to start with yours? Well, th- to be clear, they have our respect. Yeah. But we think it's stupid. Yep. <laughs> Okay, um, so the, the, the way you qualify for this is most people think this is a good business, but we actually think it might be a bad business. Um, and I agree with you on most things that you've said. I think you do me. So we were doing this uh, kind of in the back, just shooting the shit. Turns out Sam wrote them down, and now we're doing it live. Okay, um, so Patreon. So uh, Patreon is, is not a cool business to hate on because it's like the nicest business. Say what it's, it is. Uh, Patreon basically lets any indie creator, so you're a blogger, a podcaster, whatever, you can say, hey, fans, support me directly. Give me five bucks a month. That'll help me do my art. So I could do that with this show, for example. I think that's a really cool thing. I think Patreon is going to be a bad business, even though that's a cool thing. And I think it's going to be the worst business. The reason why is they went, uh, it's, you know, bad is always relative, right? So it's high expectations. They raised VC money, a lot of VC money. I think, I don't know what they're, la- I think they raised $50 million in their last round. So that means they're trying to track towards like a billion dollar plus exit. And on the other side, you have the business model, which is to take essentially 5% of the patronage donations. And so if you just sort of calculate it out, you're like, all right, to get to, you know, to be a billion-dollar business, you need to be about $100 million in revenue um, as, a, as a business, which means they're going to need to make 20 times that uh, is, needs to be flowing through their system. And I just don't think that's ever going to happen. And I don't think that um, – and I also think that's, like, highly commoditized. Like, I work at Twitch. We have a built-in way for you to give money to broadcasters. Do you and know how many – can you say how many people – so the reason I think it's bad is I have seen media companies, when they ask for donations, it's a horrible business. Right. Like, and you can look – Like, very few people ever – the only reason Wikipedia does it is because it's the most popular website in the country, or the world. Like, or one of, I don't think that people donate money. I like Substack, which is a newsletter subscription company because people give, you give, it's not, please Donation. give me money, it's, I'll allow you to get my information if you give me money. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's different. It's paying for a product versus, uh, like, 
tipping uh, yeah, or, or I think, patronage. And so, so my question is... So um, from Twitch, I can tell you, people definitely do tip like a lot. Uh, people definitely just voluntarily give money to things that they could also get the content for free. The whole Twitch business model is off that, uh, based off that um, premise. Well, the business model isn't, is it? The majority of revenue will, no will come through really? that. Yeah, so a lot of people do this behavior. But uh, what I would say is that uh, the bad part is when you're taking like a 5% cut of of that, you have such a small... Um, you have such a small share. And so like, you know, for Twitch, I think the default share is 50-50. 50% is way more than the sort of 5%. And I think Patreon tried to up it to like 7% once and everyone revolted. And uh, so that show, they basically have no like headroom to, to take a bigger, yeah, the, bigger cut of this. Yeah, it's a huge difference because they're like artists. So like, right. if we're going to stereotype and, them, they probably don't have a lot of money in the first place. And so any percentage more. Right. And some guy went and scraped all the top Patreon pages to see who's making the most. And like the top people are not very big. And so it just, to me, it's like, I don't know. It doesn't add up. It doesn't pass the sniff test. Let's do one more. Yeah. Firefly. So have you guys seen these Ubers with the, oh, you worked at Uber. So you maybe know a little bit. Ubers with the ad on the top. It's like, it's like making an Uber look like a taxi. We talked, I talked to those, we, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we talked to these guys when they were first raising their seed round. Yeah. And we saw the deck, and good. it was promising. I don't think it's going to work, though. You didn't think so at the time, either. Yeah. Because <laughs> you didn't invest. On it, yeah. on it. Um, they have since raised money, hundreds of millions yeah, of dollars. Yeah, it looks like they're doing phenomenal, and they might be. I always just thought it was weird because, uh, like, you used to work at Uber. I always just thought this is a huge platform risk. If I was Uber, I would say get off. Yeah, because if Uber ever decides, if, it, if the bigger this gets, Uber might say, hey, that looks like a good revenue stream we should own. And the learning of this, I think, but I'm wrong still, but I might be right, is I think you, it's impossible to build a, it's very unsafe, but it's doable. Zynga did it. It's very unsafe to build a business on top of one platform, and they only have two platforms, Lyft and Uber. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't love this, um, don't love this business. I know all. a guy who had a, uh, a company that was about to sell for $200 million. Last January, Facebook changed their algorithm, and it went out of business in March. What, I know the one you're talking about. It's a media company, right? Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, we won't say it. Yeah. Um, but it's a true story. It was in the news, probably, and I think that's exactly what will happen to Firefly and any company that builds on top of a platform. I remember when you were starting the hustle, I was like, you need to do Facebook, video, Snapchat. Get, go to Snapchat. Snapchat's where it's at because all these things were hot and trendy, and you were very adamant. You're like, I'm going to do email because... I'm not, you know, I'm not susceptible, you know, I own my community then, right? Like, these are people I have a direct relationship with. I'm not dependent on Facebook. And it makes Uber yeah. stupid. It makes it look trashy. Yeah. And also, I think it's... Uh, Firefly Planet, there you go. One point for Sam. Well, they're, they're still up like 100, but like, you know. I don't, I don't want them to. Right. Uh, I just think that not even a little bit. No, I don't. I don't want anyone who's taken a risk to fail, but I think they will. Um, and it sucks because the drivers make they prom. I think they promise two or three hundred dollars a month to drivers. So of course I want all these guys to win. I want it to be great. I also think that in a re when a recession happens in two or three years, brand advertising, which is what that is, it won't. It's going to go away. Or it it's not going to go away. It's, yeah. it's going to shrink. And I think that the stock. I think that more people are going to pay money on Facebook and Instagram and whatever is going to exist, TikTok. And that type of advertising is going to go away. The valuation that they eventually raised that, I bet you was more revenue than all of the taxi advertising did as a whole. Right. Yeah. Is there any way they can pivot? There's always a way you can pivot. Can you pivot successfully? Uh, what would you do? 
I, I don't. So you, let's say you get the, they have some assets, right? Let's say they're going to have they have money in the bank. They have uh, a network of drivers. Let's call it ten thousand drivers that have their unit installed on top. Um, what does that allow them to do? How do that? How, how can they leapfrog from that to something else interesting? Is there anything that comes to mind? They said they had loads of information on where the cars were going. You, you're trying to build a driverless car company. Maybe there's something there. <laughs> You're still platform dependent, but that's a way less obnoxious. Well, way, yeah, you're not. The city's not gonna. Have the city's not gonna things? get it. I have. I'm oh. surprised it's not more obnoxious. I think they. You think they look good? I like them. I just like ads. What about our commuter? You like ads? Okay. <laughs> would you put that on your car for an extra three hundred dollars? Personally, I would not. But I can imagine people who need an extra three hundred bucks during their commute probably pays for the car. I could see that too. Yeah. The reason it works is they're on the road. And they install them for free. Okay. Quick question. Uh, you're mentioning platforms and staying sort of not too reliant on them. But what about something like Shopify or Amazon? That's a different kind of... So there's two types of platforms. Um, I remember there's a story of Facebook back in the day released their Facebook platform, which was like, hey, you can build games on Facebook. This is going to be awesome. And they were being hailed as like the next great platform. And uh, the story, I don't know if this is true or not, but the story I read was uh, Zuck goes and meets with Bill Gates and is showing about Facebook platform. And really, Microsoft was the last, the, the previous like uh, huge platform, right? The Microsoft operating system that had all these different apps you can you can use on, on it. And, um, and Bill Gates was like, this is horseshit. Like, this is not, uh, this is not a platform. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, developers can build on this. He's like, that's not what a platform means. A platform is where the, str the strategy is for the, all, for the sum of all the apps that get built on this to be worth more than the platform itself. So, like, although Microsoft was always a huge company, if you added up the value of all the different programs that could run on Microsoft, the total enterprise value of those was greater than, than the value of Microsoft. And that was, that was their strategy was, like, um, we will be able to sell more operating systems if we have more apps. Therefore, we need to make sure that apps win on our platform. Otherwise, we can't sell our operating system. And the second one? Which is very different. The second is like more like what Facebook did, what Twitter did, which was like, hey, we got a whole bunch of users, um, and we got people trying to build stuff because they're all enthusiastic. We'll give them some access to try to build some things. And for the record, huge companies have been built in the second place. The, the idea, though, is you've got to get in while the getting's good, and you've got to be really good at diversifying very getting fast. Out. So, for example, Movement Watches, one of our friends who spoke at Hustle Guns, bootstrapped, sold the company for $100 million. They built a brand, and young people like that brand. Blue Apron and uh, Plated, what are those all, whatever those, also Hustle Guns speakers. I was talking to him, and he was like, we couldn't build that thing now because the cost to acquire our customers is way too expensive, and we didn't get in early enough to build this brand equity. So, the idea is, Amazon's a good example. Amazon totally got big because of Google AdWords or uh, uh, what are the ads? Whatever the ads platform. AdSense. AdSense, whatever it is, they got big. They they were the biggest customer of Google, but they built a brand. Yeah. So it is possible. I just don't think it's. You want to do, you want to escape? There's a great talk that this guy Josh Elman. Uh, he's a VC here who he he ran growth at like Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. He's had a good career, and so he wrote he gave a talk called like. Um, uh, building building a rocket ship on the back of a rocket ship or something like that. And uh, really what he's talking about is like, hey, it's great when these platforms are around, 
you can go get some easy growth on top of them, but you got to make sure you're building escape velocity to get off them quickly because you will not survive living off them. And so uh, when you, just as much as you're thinking about all, of, all the advantages you're getting, you better be thinking about how you're going to build your escape uh, off, off those platforms, like Zynga did. We grew a lot from Facebook, and when we were doing that, an advisor told me, get paranoid. And I was paranoid the whole time, and we began <laughs> diversifying, um, and it, has a, it hurt us, but it worked. Right. Like Native, who was on the podcast uh, when he was talking, you know, he talks about how they use Facebook and that's how they sell the majority of their product, but they're constantly trying to grab customer email addresses and then they remarket via email so they're not relying on the news feed. They diversify through like now they're in stores. So now that they're in stores, they're less relying on the Facebook relationship. So they're always trying to build those different assets and different relationships with customers so that you're not one channel. If I had to start from scratch, I think one of the platforms that's best right now is Facebook groups. Is, that, is, that, is everyone who's a trend, are you guys in our Facebook group? Does our stuff show up at the top all the time? <laughs> Every group yes. I have shows up at the top. Yeah, man. Well, they, they they publicly announced they were like, our strategy is to promote groups. So that means right now, like, don't make a page, uh, like, make a group. It's the algorithm is favoring it, but also don't try to live there forever because the day that they decide that which is not the thing. I know this works because Zuckerberg said this in an announcement last Feb. This was the same announcement, like I said, that killed my friend's company. They said we're prioritizing group content among other things. But if you go down to BART and all the other places in the com commercials, they're advertising groups. And so whatever they're spending on their brand advertising, right. that's the thing they want to succeed most. So you have at least two years where that is still going to be like the focal point, And then who knows after that. And so I, that's one of those when you say work backwards from distribution. It's like, well, if I knew this is going to work great on Facebook through groups, which is not even pay, you're not paying for ads, uh, you could just work backwards from that. Like what's a great group I could build? And then based off that group, what's a great, you know, sort of product or, or sort of off-platform commerce I could do? Like five or ten more minutes of One of the products that we were going to come out with for Trends, and it actually got shut down, was we worked with a guy who had sold roughly 500 companies as a broker, and we looked at a ton of Amazon companies, and their valuations were horrible because of that same reason. Quietly, yeah. And and so we we sold, or he was he was selling companies that were selling on Amazon for like one or two times earning. So if a company made like 10 million in revenue, or let's say 5 million in revenue, 1 million in profit, they would sell for like 800 thousand dollars. If anyone and puts that in perspective, our company, um, four or five X, Scott, five. So we spend five times more to acquire one customer as we did one year ago. That's crazy. That's Malibu, what you got? No, I think that they're going to continue innovating for another many decades. Um, Scott, is, is Instagram cheap? So.
So when I started the company, I don't want to reveal too much, but let's just say that like, I'm gonna make up these numbers. Um, let's say one subscriber to us is worth $20. We were able to acquire a customer for $1.50. Now it's five or 10 times that, some days it's 10. And in my opinion, that just means that the, a company like mine cannot be, be really expensive to start again now. That said, there's all these other ad products on Facebook that are really good. For example, like I said, groups. Groups are awesome. You can acquire, you can advertise on Facebook and get someone to join your group. Um, for really cheaply, and so I think that there's other things. I spent hours on on Oculus this weekend, and I think that's gonna have so many ads in it. Um, so my opinion is that the normal Facebook ad placements are definitely getting more expensive, but it's not definitely, there's still a lot of juice left in there, particularly for you guys with the margins there. So we'll do a couple more, couple more questions. Political ads? No, I don't care about that stuff. I saved my lane. <laughs> What's up? Uh, I have a quick question about the Facebook groups. Not that I don't care, I just don't know anything about it. Uh, so my, I'm curious how you guys would think about this. I've been working moms as well, and she's having a really hard time with members of the and how would you think about that kind of problem as well as how do you take them on? Our friend had a company that, Ramon, had a... Yeah. You want to tell okay. a story? What? Well, Ramon had, our friend had a business built on top of that same demographic, and he had 400,000 people in his groups, and he started with one group and made it like sub-interest. Now it was mostly soap operas. Yes, so he basically drove them to a blog. There he captured their email address and the blog. He just did advertising because he had enough scale where he could do it that way. But one of the major, the way that he did it was he got people to a blog, and then to a Facebook group, and then from a Facebook group, he would post articles in there and then collect emails and then back to the blog and then back to the group and it's very circular to the point where he sold it his traffic was like perfectly broken evenly so to me starting with a large facebook group is the same as starting with a large email list you can like segment it out pretty good into different interest interest groups literally and meta, like figuratively anyway um yeah, I don't have too many answers. You got to know the customers really well, like why they're in the group in the first place, what they're interested in, that sort of thing. But I would say generally people err on the side of being too afraid to charge, too afraid to ask. Uh, they think it's going to offend people and everyone's going to run away and all this stuff. And turns out if you're pretty honest about what you about the value you think you're providing and you say, hey, would you guys be interested in this? Um, that's a very easy way to start. And I think people overcomplicate over it and just do, I would do that. I would take your best idea. I would say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. You know, this is what it would cost. Would you guys be interested? And that doesn't mean that necessarily it's going to work, but you'll know the opposite. If no one even says they're interested, then, then don't bother How with that. How many members? Uh, about 1,000 radius. Best you could knock it out the park by having a premium one that's $20 a month and you do special stuff for them in the group. What we learned about our trends thing, which I thought was amazing, is more people have been buying because of the group as opposed to the content. I didn't realize that. Jason, what you got? Can I say one? Yeah, and we were just talking about this. I think that there's a huge misconception about this like idea of like this person who starts something and then grows it to a huge publicly traded company. I actually think that it's better for most people to find professional managers, um, and that is like not popular. Like, is it Andreessen Horowitz? They say that they want the founders to be the CEO. I think that most founders would not want to be CEO and would suck at it. 
and there's been a lot of companies that have been completely run in the ground because someone who starts a company may be a visionary or creative and really bad at operating. And I think that a lot of people don't acknowledge that. I used to make a mistake, which is I would listen to somebody and they would say one smart thing, two smart things, three smart things. I'm like, that's a smart person. And then I would sort of auto accept all other statements that they make. Um, and I never did this explicitly, but that's actually what was happening in my head. I was just uh, taking it all in. And so now I have, and then I went the other way and I was like, I don't want to listen to nobody. I'm going to figure it all out myself. And, uh, and I couldn't even last on that for six months because I was like, well, I want to hear what people think. I'm actually very curious. And so um, now my mindset is very different, which is absorb everything. Uh, I try to take, I try to hear everybody's point of view, uh, but then I really like have like a, a wall, like a firewall, which is like, what do I actually believe? Which of these things resonate with me? Which of these things, uh, like, do, do I want to actually incorporate into, you know, my own little personal Bible? And so I, I would say a lot of stuff that's sort of conventional wisdom um, doesn't pass that test. I think you said one, which was like uh, starting a business versus running and operating a business, two, two sort of different things. And, um, uh, the way I would I would think about it a little bit differently is I think that there's some really underrated business opportunities. So I think that uh, buying a business, buying an existing business, uh, should be way more common than it is because I think the media, investors, all glorify starting a new thing, but uh, there's so much value in buying a business and um, and actually just increasing the value. It's a much faster path to business success. Now, if you don't care about business success, you just want to make some change happen in the world. That's different. Um, the second one that I think is like, like sort of criminally underrated is, um, I've told you this before, um, working, uh, working at a job, I think is, uh, is, is, is a flawed way to get to financial freedom. And, um, I'm not like the first person to say this. Uh, I think most people would sort of agree with this, but the reality is that the majority, majority of people, uh, work as employees. And um, if you work as an employee, you sort of have the, the deck stacked against you. Um, you might be a great employee. I don't agree with you. Okay, let me, let, me, let me tell you why I think it's bad. So uh, if you're a great employee, you might be two, three, five times more productive or have higher output than the person next to you, but you'll never really get paid two, three, four, five X somebody who's in your peer group uh, at your company. Companies sort of... Have you ever met salespeople? Yeah, yeah, salespeople. But what, what they do is they just raise the quota. It's like, okay, fantastic. You did it. Here's your new way to get that same bonus. Like com companies go broke if they... If you do performance... If you are paid on performance, then you can knock it out the park. Maybe. I think most jobs are not. From my experience, sales jobs, uh, they also basically they just keep raising your quota so that, you, you know, you you can't continue to earn at the same rate you're I would earning. say there's, o there's only a few ways to get rich. It's you get lucky, which includes marrying into it, inheritance, <laughs> or lottery. The best way. Yeah, the best way. You start a business or yes. you become a salesperson. Okay. And salesperson includes anything that is like performance related that's typically sales in tech world it could be like growth as well right um have you guys read the book rich dad poor dad i'm just curious so so, so when i read that that was one of those like i'm gonna write that in my bible like that one resonated with me i was like this makes absolute sense and if you haven't read Isn't the book kind of crook? Uh, i don't think he's a crook yeah i don't, I don't know if you, I, I do this with a lot of people like elon musk a lot some people think he's like a hero and, no, and super got, genius some people think he's jail. a fraud didn't he go to jail he, he's, he's not a my point is this, is like, I don't really care about a person because from what I've encountered here in Silicon Valley, I've met my heroes and they're just, they're, people have flaws, people are weird, people have strengths and weaknesses, and I don't judge their philosophies or, or wisdom based off of uh, their totality as a person. And so, so this guy, 
his philosophy around in Rich Dad Poor Dad, it resonated with me. And so that's one that I've let in that I don't think most people here in Silicon Valley talk about. So do him and then Mike and then we'll okay. Ideally, yes. But the reality is a lot of people do the opposite too, right? So. I'll, I agree with you, but I'm going to add a second perspective. You're you're working. So this is uh, I'm gonna. I don't want to call you a not. How do you pronounce it? Anand. Okay. I have a friend who spells the same way. We call him a not. Uh, he's working on a self-driving car. That's that's like a go big or go home. I think that that's awesome. I think that you'd be. I'm from Missouri, so I've got a lot of. People aren't as smart as you, but my friends are not as smart as you. But there's people who are rich because they start a small business that makes $500,000 to a million dollars a year in profit, and that just goes straight to their pocket. And I would argue, though, that I agree with you. I think I, I will, if you would accept my money, I will bet money on you, and I think that you will win. But I think that you can make. Did you a, just meet this guy? Yeah. Did, did you spend three minutes? Yeah, he's great. <laughs> you can see this guy's gonna win. Uh, I would. I think that a lot of people are surprised that. So we have this database that we surveyed 600 people, and there's people who own restaurants that are making $600,000 a year on a two and a half million dollar thing. Now, who knows what type of life you want? That's pretty cool for a lot of people. That's great for most people. But I do agree with you. But that is probably why you're probably going to be the best. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I feel you. You you won't get rich if you. Aside from the lucky tier, you won't get rich unless you're solving somebody's problem. Unless you're giving value to other people, you're just going to capture some percentage of that value back. Now, the, the thing you said, which was, and if, if you're listening to this, you probably didn't hear what he said, which was, uh, don't go try to start start a business to make money. Uh, go out there, start a business to solve problems, and money will come. Uh, I call you know that's the top of the pyramid, and if you're living by that, I think that is amazing. I also know many people who start businesses because um, they enjoy the act of starting a business, and uh, they try to find different problems to solve, and um, and they don't necessarily know which problem ahead of time. They just decide that's who I am. I'm a business person. I'm going to make it happen, and I, I think that. Um, while what you're saying is, is amazing, I think what it does is it isolates people out who don't feel that true calling of which problem to solve. Um, and it's okay to know that there's def many different styles. Yeah, yeah my father owned a company that sold onions. He was an onion salesman. That's what my dad did. And he knocked it out the park because we were poor and he wanted to send me to private school. I think that is possible. That's my point. Though, I think that your thinking is going to make you a home run versus whatever is successful but not a home run. I want to leave everyone with one little exercise uh, that I think is an amazing one to do yourself. Uh, I'm going to do it to you. It's a, I wrote down, we're going to play the game real quick. Wait, ask, well, get, get oh, sorry, Mike, one last question. Hand up. Hold on, show your shirt. So his shirt says Southern Sam's Wieners as big as a baby's so arm. My first company was a hot dog cart called Southern Sam's Wieners as big as a baby's arm. This is arm. how famous Sam is. I was solving a problem. You, you, you made this shirt. <laughs> I wasn't trying to get more get you get people to eat hot dogs. I was doing it because I wanted to get paid and I wanted to work outside.
wherever the attention is, that's if you're trying to get people's attention, that's where you got to go and you got to figure out how to play that game. So now it's on TikTok. Fantastic. Now you got to learn how to do music videos and get people's attention. I think it's freaking awesome. Yeah. It is so cool. I think that the 16-year-olds of today are amazing. I think that their bullshit detector is going to be higher than any other generation's bullshit detector. And that I, I think that the only way you're going to be able to circumvent that is by not bullshitting. And so it's going to be really hard, I think, for a Walmart to advertise there unless they do something hip and cool, which big brands are able to do that, like a Nike or something. But I think that with Facebook, not so much Instagram, but with Facebook, it was really easy to scam people. Before I started a legitimate company, I, like most Internet people, I did scams. Facebook was easy to do that. I mean, everyone, everyone, right? Everyone who has made money on the internet. They're going to leave you hanging. <laughs> yeah, don't act like everyone has thought of stuff. I'm not talking like real scams, but like, you know, you hawk bullshit. Anyway, it was easy to do on Google. It was a little less, but still easy to do on Facebook. Kind of hard on Instagram. I think with TikTok, it's going to be very, 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 very hard. That's my opinion. So I think TikTok is, is uh, amazingly fun to use. Um, I also feel like a perv when I'm on it because there's also like a lot of like just 16 year old girls no matter what I'm trying to watch like I like basketball but it's like no here's what you like I'm like oh god this this algorithm I I don't know how I feel about this Um, but but the other thing is I also don't know how long this this lasts because I know TikTok is pouring so much money into buying users um, and usually the uh, apps like TikTok don't have great retention so I'm curious in the long haul uh, apps apps that don't typically Right, but the the sort of the wave and the critical mass of users is really like eighteen months old, and because they're buying so much, you can't tell how much is leaking is it, out. Is it popular in China? Like they've spent over a billion dollars. It's popular in China. I knew it was, I knew it was a Chinese company, but I wasn't sure if it was a. Yeah, dude, I, I'm bullish on. I, Usually, products that uh, like the Facebook type products that feature your friends, WhatsApp, Instagram, products that have people you know in them are like sticky forever products that are entertainment like a vine or you know they they have a harder time doing it and they can do they can do it so i'm just saying it's not like a given that tiktok's just going to be the thing you know four or five years from now it's totally possible but it's not a given the last thing i'll say is just uh do what's native to the medium so like i know a lot of people a lot of music artists are trying to use tiktok they're designing songs to be tiktokable and so they're like, because uh, on TikTok, a lot of the dance moves are like little hand gestures. So they're designing lyrics that are like, pick up the phone, say goodbye, thumbs down, see you later. And like, they're designing a song that can be TikToked really easily. And so I think that's the type of thinking you have. I'm always inspired by like, um, Dane Cook got really big because he gamed LimeWire back in the day. He would, people were searching for Chris Rock comedy. So he'd like put like five minutes of Chris Rock comedy and 45 minutes of Dane Cook comedy right afterwards. And that's how he got his followers because he knew how to like game that system because that's where the attention was at that time. And so, you know, that's how I would think about it. Okay, the game, the, the game's real simple. Uh, this is a game you can play with, you can do to yourself, you can play with other people. It tells you a lot about people. So I interview and hire a lot of people. And I found that this three line test. Uh, tells me a lot about the way somebody thinks. So I'm going to play with you. So all you got to do is just answer first thing that comes to mind. When I, I'm going to say a sentence, and I'm going to fill in. A, I'm going to leave a blank. That's where you say your thing. Okay. Um, uh, people are friendly. Life is adventurous. I am an animal. <laughs> Very good. Okay. So uh, 
I've noticed that people have a, a, a default reaction, and it is a, you don't have to be held to it. Uh, but these are like the core beliefs that you carry around in the world. So uh, if you think people are stupid or if you think people are complicated, uh, I bet you're going to have a lot of problems with people as you go around the world, if that's kind of like what's, what your top of mind thing is. Um, mine used to be um, life is great, just something generally positive. But I updated it because I heard a better one, and I was like, ooh, I like that. I'm going to take that, uh, which was just life is what you make of it. And I was like, oh, that's a more empowering way to think about things. It's like no matter what's going on in my life, it's going to be about what I make of this situation. And so I encourage you, ask yourself these three questions. Say, what do I think? People are, life is, I am. And then ask yourself, am I happy with those answers? And also try it on other people. It'll tell you a lot about them. So I wanted to leave you guys with that little framework. Cool. Thank you for coming. All right.